0: Welcome to another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell, and joined, as always, by
1: Matt Williamson. Matt, how's it going? It's going great, man. I mean, it's been a crazy couple days. I mean, since we got together, my Pens won the Cup, and then yesterday, my brother-in-law, who's a pilot, got us behind the scenes for when the Pens landed for the first time in Pittsburgh with the Cup, a very, very small group of people. I took my nine-year-old I mean, it was like the best day of his entire life. You know, we saw his pictures with Sidney Crosby and autographs left and right, and it was pretty awesome. And then Friday, I'm going to the U.S. Open here in Pittsburgh at Oakmont, which I don't know anything about golf, and I won't recognize one thing. I've never been to a golf event, but it's been a star-studded uh, kind of week here for us.
0: Yeah, that, that sounds awesome for you. We, yeah. We won't touch on the Brashard Paraman news. Uh, we'll just try to keep your spirits high. Maybe we'll hit yeah, on that. Yeah. Hit on that later. We'll, we'll keep it positive here today. Well, if you listened last week, you um, heard Chad Parsons share some of his viewpoints on dynasty startup strategy, and Chad has coined the UTH way. He favors young players and draft picks and, and building around wide receivers. But that's not, that's not the only strategy that works, certainly. So we wanted a, a little bit of an opposing viewpoint today, and I, I think we're going to have that. And uh, Jacob Rickroad. Jacob is a writer for uh Roto-Viz. He's also the co-host of the Fantasy Game Theory podcast, which uh, I always learn something from every time I, I get a chance to listen. So, Jacob, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me, guys. I'm honored to be here.
0: Well, we'll, um, we'll just jump right in. And, and, Jacob, what would you say is just your general Dynasty startup philosophy, if you could uh, summarize that, I guess.
2: I'll try to sum it up, but my goal is to win now every year. I, I don't believe in rebuilding years. I, I think that's kind of silly. Um, I play in a lot of expensive leagues, you know, I have a $500 dynasty league and a $300 league and so the thought of tanking for a year just doesn't make sense to me. So I build my strategies to, my strategy is to make the playoffs every year and I think that the dream team strategy is kind of overrated and I'd, I'd rather win now and next year rather than wait three years from now for that supposed dream team to come together.
0: All right, so that's that's already a little bit of a differing viewpoint between um, your strategy and, and my strategy. You know, I I coined it's the crazy <laughs> exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I coined the productive struggle, which um, by definition includes struggling and and losing that you know likely that first year, hopefully only that first year. But you bring up an interesting point in the higher-stakes leagues. Now, I don't play in any high-stakes leagues. I think my highest buy-in is is around $100. So I do wonder, and I've wondered before how – playing in a high-stakes league would affect that strategy of basically tanking or, or punting year one. It it would certainly be hard to throw away 300 or 500 or or $1,000 with the idea of crafting that perfect team somewhere down the road. So I, I can't say I blame you, even though that's, that's not necessarily the strategy I use. I can't say I blame you for
1: trying to win right out of the gate. You need to expand upon this. So are you dumping future draft picks left and right? Are you only drafting... Are you drafting like it's a redraft? Are you not taking the Perryman, Kevin White type guys at their at their price? I need to hear a lot more before I just say this is crazy talk.
2: Okay, well I've been playing since '98, so yeah. a long time. I got into high stakes um, in 2003, um, and those are the redraft leagues, the, the 15 to 1700 dollars a year. And the one strategy I learned playing in those high stakes redraft league is don't gamble early. Um, it doesn't make sense to take a hype pick early in a draft, in my opinion. And so I use that strategy when I'm doing a dynasty startup, meaning I'm not going to take a hype guy early. I, I can, If it is a stock portfolio that you're building, and the big money is those early picks, the first, second, third, fourth round picks, I'm not going to swing for the fences on those picks. I'm going to buy... Stocks that I know are are built to last, you know, I'm buying Google, I'm buying Apple, I'm buying Nike, I'm buying Coke, I'm not buying a startup company. Um, And that's helped me avoid players like Cordero Patterson in years past. And I've seen, you know, rookies go in the second, third round. Sometimes they hit, but a lot of times they don't. And so by taking the strategy of not gambling early and taking players with a a little bit more of a proven track record, I, I can have success right
1: out of the gates. Give me some names, though. Are you talking AJ uh, well, Green? Or are you talking Dez Bryant? I'm
2: in, a, I'm, in a, I'm in the middle of a startup right now, and I had the 102 pick. I uh, traded down from the 102 pick. Um, I traded to the end of the, the round. I took Gronk and Dez, um, and then I traded down again. I actually gave up my future first and second to get four picks in the second round, or the first 112 second round, and I ended up with Gronk, Dez, DT, DT, Traded down again at my 211 pick and, and picked up Cobb.
1: But you don't have a 17 first.
2: I do not. I do not. And I've done this at every yeah, every startup draft I have and and have had a lot of success with it. And we can, I'll get into my feeling about rookie draft picks a little bit later. But that's that's kind of how I build my team. I'm not saying that that um, you don't take chances and I will, but I take a zero running uh, zero rookie approach, meaning I don't want to touch a rookie. Until the later rounds, you know, zero running back doesn't mean you don't draft running backs. It just means you wait till later. So I'm not comfortable taking a rookie until yeah, you know, maybe sixth, seventh, or later.
1: I have a feeling this is not what you do, but I would condone your approach. <laughs> not that I'm right or wrong, but if I if you let's say you, you got those four assets, what do you have? You have Dez, you have Gronk, you have Cobb, you have somebody else who's pretty damn good for now. I forget who you said he, who it was. D.J. Thomas, right. So immediately, you're a 2016 contender. I mean, I think we all agree on that. And those guys aren't old. I mean, they're not Frank Gore. They're not Andre Johnson. So if your move would be, okay, let's try to win the pot this year, and then I'm going to sell those guys off for two or three things. If I can sell Demarius Thomas a year from now for two younger players, and so I'm still competitive three years from now, I could see that move, but I have a hunch that's not what you're doing.
2: It's not, and I, I don't draft players. I I don't pick up players on their market value because I really don't care. I, I just want to win. But I'll, I'll I'll go into DT and why I still like DT. So when I the first couple years of playing fantasy, I, I lost a few times, and so I decided to find a better process. So what I did was I cataloged the top 24 wide receivers, running backs, quarterbacks, tight ends top 12 at PPR scoring going back to 2000 and it looks for trends. What, what are the big trends that are happening here? And what I found is that it's, it's mostly the same players that are finishing um, in those top spots. So you look at quarterbacks, uh, quarterbacks was dominated by over the last decade, four quarterbacks have pretty much dominated the top spots. In fact, eight of the last 10 years, the QB one spot came from Rogers, Peyton Manning, Brady, and Drew Brees. And, and the last two we've seen, Cam Newton and, and Luck, kind of take over and take those top spots. But for the most part, those four guys have dominated. And then when you look at wide receivers, it's, it's the same thing. I took the top, the, the, the wide receivers with three top 12 seasons going back to 2000, and there's, there's 24 of them. And um, we know these guys. It's Marvin Harrison, it's uh, Torrey Holt, Owens, Randy Moss, of course. Uh, Donald Driver, Reggie Wayne, Andre Johnson, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Calvin. Um, and
2: or. what I notice with these guys is, I they're one, they're doing it every year. They're top 24 every year. And I can connect that with quarterbacks and with offenses. And um, these are the outliers. They're staring us in the face. So Demarius Thomas, yeah, he's 29 years old. But I still think he's got two, three, maybe more top 24 seasons left in him, especially when you compare him to Roddy White, who had three top 10 seasons after age 28. Same thing with uh, Andre Johnson. So that's kind of my philosophy. I'm going to ride these guys until they're done, and then later on be harvesting rookies or younger players that are going to take their spots.
1: I I get that, but two years from now, When Demaryius Thomas is 31, and Gronk is still great, but a diminished asset, and all those guys aren't quite as good as they are now, and my team has Cooper, Evans, and Watkins on it, and they're the next generation of Harrison and Holt and whatnot, and you don't have any draft picks to replenish yourself, although you may have some cash in your pocket, I'll give you that, then all of a sudden, how do you keep up?
2: I've managed to do it. I, I have a 2013 team. i My second round pick was Larry Fitzgerald. I picked Jordy Nelson in the fourth. And then going into the second season, I knew I got to replace these guys somewhere. So I I drafted two wide receivers. That was a 2014 class. I probably got lucky getting Jordan Matthews and Allen Robinson. and We can get into that later. But I think if you're constantly harvesting those backups and shifting, so as these guys late in their career become wide receiver twos and I have another guy that's waiting in the wings, Because when you look at these rookies, a lot of these guys, they don't hit very early. Not all of them. In fact, if you go back to 2000, only 15 rookie wide receivers have ever hit in year one. And three of those came from 2014. So Jacob, you mentioned uh, selling
0: your 2017 picks in this current startup you're, you're participating in for some pretty high startup draft picks. And for a guy like you with this strategy, you just have to be just drooling over the value that these future picks have. If if you're already basically set on selling them anyway, you know, in a typical year you could sell a future first rounder for maybe a sixth or a seventh round startup draft pick. But I've seen first rounders go for, or 2017 first rounders go for second or third round startup picks. Is is that what you're seeing? And, and is that similar to the deal that you made?
2: Yeah, I mean the hype on 2017 is out of control. I mean you guys are on Twitter, you see it. So um, it, it was pretty easy to do that, you know. And I, I, I ended up getting Kelsey and John Brown in the uh, fourth, fifth round. So you know, my team's looking stacked. I got, I got that young guy and John Brown, who's 26, that may end up being that next top 24 guy in the future. So I'm already thinking about that a few years down the line. I think if you build a mix of young and old players, you can really do that. Um, I know Kevin O'Brien over at TLF has a great. Um, 401k building program where you kind of balance out old guys with young guys. But the Achilles heels of, of these drafts is, is these older players that people just stay away from and um, or, or they're drafting these rookies and the, the rookies don't always hit. You know, I've, I've seen the, the guys in my drafts that drafted you know, Justin Hunter, Tavon Austin really early, they're still struggling and they haven't made the, the playoffs so hitting on those early picks I think is key for long-term success and then hopefully being able to build a balance in the later rounds. Um, Last year I did a study on rookie aughts and how many rookies actually hit, because there was a guy in my league that traded Des Bryant for two firsts, which I thought was crazy at the time. Um, He ended up drafting Watkins, Trey Mason, and Carlos Hyde. Pretty unlucky, I guess, coming from that class. But, um, anyways, he hasn't made the playoffs since. And I, I dug into rookie odds, and I wanted to see how often do they hit. So I took the ADP going back to 2010, and and ran the numbers. And any time a guy was a two or a top 24, top 12 at his position, I considered that a hit. And what I found was the first round of rookie drafts is 50 50 hit right, meaning. Half of the guys will never make it, and that includes players like Trent Richardson, Javid Best, CJ Spiller, who only had one season in the top 24. Yeah, there's AJ Green and Julio, and you really can't put a value on, on nailing one of those guys, but I think those guys are kind of rare, you know, generational talents, and they're not in every draft. Um, so the first round is 50 50, and if I'm picking late, it, it goes down even farther. The second round of rookie drafts was a 25 or 27% hit rate which isn't very good, and that includes a lot of players that didn't hit till like year three, four. You know, Golden Tate didn't even hit till he got out of Seattle. Um, so I, I just feel like rookie odds are kind of lottery pickets picks, and yeah, you know, when you do hit them, they're awesome. I'm not saying that you don't want them. You still want them, and the earlier rookie picks are, are ideal because those are the ones that are most likely to hit. But draft picks in general, I think, are overvalued. You know, I found that after round two, um, third round through the sixth round was abysmal. There was only 20 players out of 288 that actually hit. So, you know, those late round picks, they're, they're flyers at best.
1: One thing I've noticed, though, and it seemed, I mean, it's a small sample size of one of the things you've mentioned of what you've done in your history, is it seems to me you are either, or a combination of both, a very good, well, you're, you've, it seems like you're a very good drafter. You know, you're, you're taking the right guys, Maybe that's luck. Maybe that's skill, and I th- I would imagine it's skill. I mean, you know what you're talking about. You know the game, and, and I think that's probably true for Ryan and myself as well. I mean, I think we're better drafters than the, the the average bear in our average league, and I think that makes a lot of problems go away, no matter what your philosophy is.
2: No doubt about that. Um, all I'm really doing is playing the odds here. You know, I'm gonna I'm taking shots at at higher. Higher probability of making it, and since I'm assuming I'm going to be making the playoffs, and my late my first is going to be a late one anyways, you might as well give it away. And later on, I'm going—I know I'm going to be able to pull somebody off the waiver wire who's gold. I mean, it seems to happen every year. Um, my rookie draft this year—I'm not a big fan of this class, and so uh, I ended up taking Kobe Fleener in in the first round of my rookie draft, and then I took Danny Woodhead at the end of the second, which is kind of crazy. I finished second last year, and so. Even the, with a the short shelf life on these guys, the, the fact that these guys were available is just beyond me. You know, Torrey Smith was available in the third round wow. of that draft, so I picked him up. And, and these are guys with a proven track record that, for the short term at least, we know that they, they should be performing in the next two years.
0: Yeah, I was worried we might not get a Danny Woodhead mention this episode. So I'm <laughs> glad you got I that, that you covered. For, he seems to, to come up in conversation uh, in every episode. But... Uh, you know, we, we know most fantasy players, most dynasty players do start playing redraft and then at some point make that transition. And I would think that your strategy is one that a player like that making that transition would use. You know, they're, they're taking these players that are well established, that are consistent scorers in the past. Maybe they're not putting as much value on younger players or, or on rookies. So do you feel like that's kind of the strategy you came to Dynasty with, or or have you seen some evolution in that?
2: Yeah, I mean, when I look at the history and and the consistency year over year and how it's same players over and over, um, it just seems like a safe bet to me. If a guy's got two seasons in the top 24, he's very likely to do it again and again. And and we see this. I mean, these same receivers are doing it for a long time. And so that's kind of where I I hedge my bet. And then I I also look at offenses, and you can draw a straight line with play callers as well. You know, you look at, I I, I took the top 12 scorers every year, going back to 2,000. And and what I notice is it's a lot of the same coaching staffs that have these guys. You know, Kubiak's always got this stud running back. Andy Reid, over the last 10 years, Andy Reid's had five 300-plus point running backs, and he did it with three different running backs. So, you know, you look at offenses like that, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna chase after guys like that. I picked up Chark off the waiver wire um, last year, and he was gold, and that fits in with Andy Reid's history. You know, same thing with Tressman. There's a lot of, a lot of people big on Tressman, but Chicago had three top 12 scoring players, three of them, two wide receivers and a running back on the same team, and this is a team powered by Jay Cutler. Like that's, there's something to that. And you look at Tressman's history, you go back and. Jerry Rice's best statistical season, Mark Trestman was his coordinator. Now, Jerry Rice is the greatest of all time, but it was also the highest recorded uh, targeted season that Jerry Rice had was under Trestman. So there's just certain offenses where they target more. Targets cure all. When I'm studying the top 24 wide receivers, the the one consistency is is high volume of targets. And if a guy has 120-plus, he's got a really good chance of making it in the top 24. And so I, I I that's part of my evaluation. You know, there's like a holy trinity. It's it's quarterback, play caller, and talent. Sometimes you can get away with two out of three, but volume of targets can make up for that. So you got a, a talented player like Hopkins that doesn't have elite quarterback play, but he gets 192 targets, he's gonna be phenomenal. And you look at the top ten scoring players, they're typically getting ten plus targets a game, eight to ten. And, and so that's the offenses I'm going to chase. I'm going to go with either quarterbacks like Rodgers, who's had five out of eight seasons with two top 24 wide receivers, or um, you take a, a big talent guy like who like Allen
1: Robinson, who you know is going to get 150-plus targets. So real quick, just to change gears, you, Mark, you mentioned tressman. What is your interpretation of who are you attacking now in the Ravens offense?
2: Um, I, You know, you're going to think this is crazy, but I, I've been picking up Mike Wallace because he's free. He's really cheap. Th- this is a guy that's got four top 24 seasons. He's one year removed from 10-plus touchdowns. Um, I, just, he, I think he's kind of sneaky. And like I said earlier, those guys have a way of getting back in. So I, I like Wallace. I like Aiken too. I mean, Aiken was awesome down the stretch last year. And if you add Steve Smith's numbers and Aiken's together, they score 260 points as the top pass catcher, and that makes sense because they were getting 10 plus targets with Tressman. The Ravens were throwing a ridiculous number, I think they had close to 700 passes, so any offense that's going to throw like that, there's going to be some value there. And So I typically fade teams that don't have that high passing volume when it comes to their receiving options because they just have to be really efficient to get there if they're only getting 100 targets. I know you're a big uh, Lockett fan. And I think he's an incredible talent. But I look at Golden Tate, and Golden Tate's a similar player to Lockett. Golden Tate didn't become really fantasy relevant until he went to a place where they were going to throw it to him 120-plus times. So when I'm evaluating these players, I want the guys that are going to be wide receiver ones on their team getting those targets. And if they're not, are they on a team that's going to support two wide receivers? You know, going back to the top 24, Every year, there's an average of four wide receiver twos that make the top 24. So you take a team like Miami, where you got Devontae Parker and Landry. They're both like second, third-round picks in Dynasty Startups. And I look at Tannehill, and he's only got 2,000-yard receivers on his resume, two. And yet both of these guys are getting drafted second, third-round. I, I, I just don't see it. I know Gates is awesome, but it doesn't make sense to me when you compare it to Moncrief and Hilton have Andrew Luck. I think those two guys got a better chance of getting top 24 than Landry and Parker. And I think Parker's a fantastic talent. I just, I'm not willing to spend that kind of draft capital on a team with a quarterback that I'm not sure can support both.
1: Just to stick with the, the Ravens real quick, last question on this. Are you, and I am. I'm a believer that you can still get Flacco cheap. You know he's, he's injured, so to speak. I don't think that's a concern at all. And just his history shows that most people will dump him pretty cheap. But I would imagine you agree with me there. But I'm curious what you think of Max Williams. Unproven, you, you know, he kind of goes against your philosophy.
2: The, the problem with Max Williams is I really need a deep roster to do it. Um, when you look at tight end historically, it's, there's a top tier, three guys, and then after that they're all the same. Um, And and that goes back to, you know, it was Antonio Gates and Gonzalez and Witten that ruled most of the 2000s and then, you know, Gronk and Graham recently and that's still kind of happening. And so, you you know, I'll take some shots at Max Williams. I'm probably not going to own him on any of my teams. Most of my rosters are only 20 deep and so it's hard to roster a guy like that. Um, I kind of like, you know, Vance McDonald if you're looking for a later round pick. Chip Kelly's got a nice history of throwing to tight ends. So, you know, when I look at the top 24 tight ends, the guys that are usually there are the teams that are giving him 100-plus targets. So I'm all over Fleener. I know people that watch film aren't a big fan of, of, of Kobe Fleener. But, um, you know, if he gets 110 targets like um, Ben Watson did, he's got a really good chance of being in the top five.
0: Jacob, I was reading another one of your recent articles over at Rotoviz, and you talk about wide receivers, and, and you suggest that maybe we've hit the maximum capacity at wide receiver. And, and when you look at Dynasty ADP or you look at the typical startup, you'll see 75% of, you know, you could even go as probably as deep as three or four rounds. 75% of the players we're seeing chosen are wide receivers. And, and that's one thing we talked about last week with Chad, was that all three of us, Chad and Matt and myself, do like to build our teams around wide receivers. What makes you think that we've hit maybe the end of the road with that, and and how do you see that trending in a different direction?
2: Well, you know, studying statistics going way back, um, and and if you assume that the same receivers are going to keep in and up there, um, I made a list of of the guys that I think are going to be top 24 the next couple years. And um, this includes older guys like Decker and Macklin and Edelman, um, Jordy Nelson, Brandon Marshall Fitz, but it also includes all the guys, all the, the, the new class, if you will, the, the Beckhams, the Allen Robinson, Landry, Cooks, Matthews, Watkins, Evans, etc. And and I came up with 30. There was 30 guys that, that fit that criteria. Um, and that's before we even got to this the second year guys that haven't quite hit yet. Kevin White, Perriman, of course, Parker, Aguilar, Lockets, Stephon Diggs. Um, you know, Michael Floyd, John Brown, those guys have always been sneaking in the top 30. Um, and that's without mentioning Josh Gordon and Mark Davis Bryant, who may or may not come back in the next two years. And then you throw in Tory Smith, Mike Wallace, Deshaun Jackson, uh, Vincent Jackson. These are guys that have, that have done it, you know, historically that could sneak back in, in my opinion, have a very good chance because of their history. We haven't even we hit the rookies yet. So I just named, you know, there's close to 50 guys right there. I just don't know where these rookies are going to fit into that. This 2014 class was so ridiculous that they're they're really clogging a lot of holes, and there's only so many top spots to go around. So, you know, I, I'm not saying that the rookies can't break into the top 24, but um, it, it's going to be tough, and they're going to have to get 120-plus targets, generally speaking, to do that. So who are the guys that, that are capable of? Corey Coleman, I guess, because he could be the number one guy. Um, I love Laquan Treadwell and Boyd. But I'm not sure if those offenses can, can do that. You know, Treadwell was going to a place where they don't throw a lot at all. And um, it, the, the coordinator actually has a history of not even targeting the guy more than 115 times. Vincent Jackson never got even 120 targets <clears throat> during his time at San Diego. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to take the under on, on, on guys like that. I, I think in general these rookies are going to take a couple, of year, a couple of years to catch up. And, and break in. What do you think about that? Well to your point, you
0: know, you're, you're mentioning breaking into the top twenty four. And I you were talking fantasy scoring, you know, production. Some of those guys are already breaking into the top twenty four if you're looking at ADP or, or the way we value players. So that's the real disconnect in, you know, in the conversation and, and that's what's I think that's what's leading you to to go with these established players that you know what to expect from rather than you know, I'm going to take Treadwell. He's, his ADP is 24 overall right now, so not only is he a, a top 24 wide receiver value-wise, ADP-wise, he's a top 24 player overall, and, and that probably just makes you cringe.
2: <laughs> it really does. Um, it's just not the way I, I build my teams. I, I, I'm not saying he can't get there. And, you know, maybe you take a Treadwell and you're able to, to pick up a Larry Fitzgerald later or Deshaun Jackson. It just depends on your roster construction. But um, looking at the rookie odds – you know he's got a very fairly good chance to to fail. You know if if it's fifty fifty, it could go either way. I lo- I love the guy. I just I don't like the situation he landed in. Um, I don't think that um, that uh, Bridgewater is that great a quarterback. I haven't seen it yet. He's only thrown 14 touchdowns a year. So in my mind, that's just an easy fade. Um, and and Trewell, he could easily get in there, but I. I think looking at the history, the odds of him hitting this year are slim to none, given that only 15 rookies have ever hit it, going back to 2000. And so at best, that's a second year, and maybe even a third year. You know, people forget that Demarius Thomas didn't hit till his third year. You know, a lot of these guys didn't hit. We've been spoiled by the A.J. Greens and Julios and Allen Robinsons that exploded in year two. But some of these guys, you know, they were low in wide receiver twos or low – or high wide receiver threes in year two, and that's not helping me win. Not when I want to stack as many top 20 guys as I can. So I wonder about that.
0: We talk a lot about that 2014 class, and, and I think it's a good example when it comes to your strategy. So if you're doing a startup draft in 2014 and uh, Beckham and Cooks and Sammy and Evans and, and all these guys are you know coming off the board somewhere between the second and, and fourth or fifth round, I'm assuming you're avoiding those guys. So, yes. good. What what happens when those guys hit and they establish themselves as, you know, clear top options? Are you paying the price for them, or
2: are you still sticking with your veterans and going that route? I'm still sticking with my veterans for the most part, depending on my my roster. Uh, and it, maybe I've just been lucky with the teams that I have, where I've, I've been able to hit on some of these later round rookies. You know, you know, I drafted Keenan Allen in the twelfth round, um, in 2013. So. I, I don't know, but the, uh, uh, what I do know is if you look at the last several years, two-thirds of the wide receivers in the top 24 are over are 25 years or older. And, and the peak years for these guys is generally the late 20s, early 30s. And the elite wide receivers are the outliers. These are the guys that are still getting it done in their 30s. And we've seen that recently. I mean Steve Smith, you know, Reggie Wayne put up a top 10 season at age 34. They're gonna fall off eventually. But um, those guys are, are free a lot, a lot of times. You know, a lot of people are – Edelman's still available in my um, startup draft, and we're in the seventh round. And that's the guy that could easily be a top 20 guy this year and next.
0: So if a guy like Treadwell or Coleman or Josh Dotson, if they do hit and become top 10, top 12 valued wide receiver, you're probably not, they're probably not going to be on your roster until they're in their
2: mid-20s. Is that fair to say? That's that's fair to say, and I think there's a lot of value in those guys. You know, the Golden Tates, um, the Emmanuel Sanders that, that hit a little bit later on, that maybe they just needed the right situation. So I'm going to be chasing after guys like that that are kind of flying under the radar.
1: You mentioned targets a lot with receivers, and you also mentioned you picked up Danny Woodhead. Uh, I imagine that that correlates to you with running backs, too. You want nothing to do with running backs, probably, that don't catch the ball. I mean, you after the high-volume receiving running backs as well.
2: Uh, is it that obvious? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just putting two and two together.
2: Yes. Uh, Adam Harstad of Football Guys had this stat, and um, I don't remember the exact number, but I know it was a, in a PPR, a reception is worth three carries. So that explains exactly why a guy like Danny Woodhead could be a top five guy because he's getting 70, 80 catches times three, you know, that puts him in the 350 range or, you know, 300 range carry. And then you look at a guy like Freeman. You know, Freeman had 70-some receptions. You add that with 265 carries, that's why he's the number one back. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, the Charles Sims of the world, these, these guys that just happen to sneak in the top 20, I, I love guys like that. Um, I owned Buck Allen on, on a couple teams last year. I actually owned McFadden. On, on both my dynasty teams because he was really cheap. I picked him up from the rookie draft. And the reason I picked him up is because of Linehan's history. You look at what Linehan's done historically with his running backs, and he throws a ton. I mean, he had two top 24 running backs with Joyce Bell and Bush, and he did it with Mikel LaShore. So when going into last year, I know I McFadden was kind of washed up, but there was a, I'm, not, I'm old enough to remember but McFadden was one of the best running backs in the league for about 20 games, and I knew he could catch really well. So I picked him up because I thought that Joseph Randall couldn't catch, just looking at his stats, and, and that ended up working really well. And so it's just not surprising to me a lot of these same coaches, especially the ones that target their running backs heavy, continually have these top 24 guys uh, year after year. And so, uh, you know, Shane Varane is free in some of these startup traps. He's going like in the 15th, 16th round. That's a guy that's going to have 50 catches that I can kind of just plug and play. And um, every year there's waiver wire picks that, that – our league winners, you know, Ahmaud Bradshaw a few years ago. So the next best running back is probably going to be on your waiver wire, like Chark West was
1: l- last year. You know, since we've been doing this, I, I think I'm more youth-heavy than Ryan is. And, and Ryan's kind of got me to come around on the philosophy of, you know, I can't don't, don't use an early pick on Eric Ebron or, you know, especially, at the, especially these tight ends. I've always been on board there. But he's, he's thrown out the idea many times of send a 17-third to the Jason Witten owner and just take Jason Witten for next to nothing. You know. And I think that's a great way of looking at it. And goes against my youth-only theory, basically, but it makes a ton of sense. If you get three years out of Witten as a top-ten guy for a future third, that's well worth it. Uh, are you on board that, that way, too, with these tight ends? I mean, assuming you don't have Gronk or the studs, are, are you just settling for the Gates and Wittens on the super cheap?
2: Yeah, I mean, when you look at my my statistics on rookie odds and how low percentage those late-round picks are, why not trade it for a guy that I can get one year out of? I mean, Witten's almost a lock to get 100 targets. He does every year. Right now, he's the number two guy on the team um, when it comes to pass catching, so I'm all on board with that. There's just a few positions, quarterbacks and tight ends, where past the top tier, they're pretty much all the same. Right. And So if I don't have one of those top-tier guys... I don't want it. One of my general philosophies for these drafts is I want players that are going to dominate their position. So I want the Gronks. Um, I will reach on a quarterback early, you know, in the fourth, fifth round, um, if if I can get one of those top tier guys that I think is going to be there for a long time. So I, I in this draft I didn't do it, but I was fully ready to take Rogers um, at the late fourth, early fifth because looking at his history, he's finished as a top two quarterback every year except for two. And if I have that guy, the the QB1 is kind of underrated when it comes to getting to the playoffs. You know, you have a statistical advantage every week if you have a guy that's putting up QB1 numbers. And so having a guy like that, I love Andrew Luck. I probably would have taken him if he would have fallen to me in the fourth. Um, Having a guy like that on your roster, you're just going to win more games, and your chances to make the playoffs are bigger. Um, Drew Brees is on almost all of my dynasty teams and uh, he's he's been amazing. I mean, if you look at his history, he's never finished worse than QB six. And so, while there's late round quarterback is a great strategy, um, if I get one of those top tier guys, I will. Otherwise, they're all the same. And it seems like the Rivers and Eli's are always on the waiver wire, which doesn't make a lot of sense. So if, if you don't get one of those guys, just just wait because that somebody will be there. And I generally fade rookie quarterbacks. Don't have a great history either. It takes. <coughs> them several years to get there. I think quarterbacks mature with age. I mean, we, we saw it last year with Carson Palmer, one of his best seasons. Um, even Breeze and uh, Brady didn't even throw for 4,000 yards until they were 28. So <clears throat> some of these older quarterbacks, there's definitely a huge value. Look at what Roethlisberger's doing in the last couple of years. It just pales in comparison to what he did in his 20s. Uh, but a big part of that is Todd Haley. I, get, I give some of these play callers a lot of credit because year after year they have the top-scoring guys.
0: So, Jacob, last week we wrapped up our show by looking at the latest ADP from DLF And we went round by round choosing some players that we would target in that specific round. And we want to do that same thing with you today. You can use that data or you can actually talk about the current startup you're in since you're actually doing a draft right now. But uh, Matt and I won't won't share our responses again. We took a lot of wide receivers, a lot of players under the age of 25. But we want to hear your thoughts and, and maybe what a typical draft might look like for you through the first seven or eight rounds or so.
2: So yeah, I'll just use my example. I, I love what's going on at the end of the first second. If I can get an AJ Green and Des, I'm, I'm loving it. I think those two guys uh, have very low competition for targets over the next couple of years, and I think they're going to be wide receiver ones. If I can get as many wide receiver ones as my team as possible, I've I got a better chance of winning. Um, I think that's kind of not talked about enough. Like, What's it worth – to have a guy that's going to finish with a wide receiver one season. You know, like getting Brandon Marshall, yeah, he's old, but look what he just did. So, what's a championship worth? My leagues, if you win a championship, you pay for the next five years of fees. So, just getting one or two of those is huge. In year three, if my team falls apart, I've just paid for it for the next couple. So, I kind of have a pass to rebuild then if I can hit one of those championships teams. So I'm happy to take some of these older receivers, especially if I can combine several of them that I think are going to be wide receiver ones. And generally, the the wide receiver ones are the guys getting a ton of targets. Um, I got no issue with Mike Evans because he's averaging over 140 targets. I would take him every day over a guy like Sammy Watkins because I just don't think that offense is going to throw to him enough. But um, I'm not saying... I. I don't love Keenan Allen and some of these other young guys, too, and I wouldn't hesitate to take Allen Robinson, but I think there's a, a lot of value in having two guys that are wide receiver ones, and that's why getting it at A.J. Green, Dez. I still think D.T.'s going to be there. I mean, he's coming off a 177-target season, and with a with a play caller that historically has done that, has, has targeted his guy. You know, Kubiak had Andre Johnson for all those years when he was getting that many targets. So the first one two rounds, those are the guys I want. And I'd love to get Gronk, but just because of how dominant he is. So the most the more players I can get that dominate their position, the better.
1: Question for you. You had mentioned many times, and I think it's a great point that you love certain coordinators. You you know, I mean Treshman and Haley and guys that are proven to be fantasy winning coordinators, play callers are you doing any work on that where our readers can actually find that data or analysis or do you know of any spot on the web that really excels in showing coaches history for fantasy reasons
2: i am actually doing that um right. it started out where i just took the the ppr history and just lined up the top 12 scorers year over year um and it's really interesting to look back in the early 2000s it was running back heavy i mean I color-coded it, coordinated it, and, you know, back then there was 400-point running backs, and and then you can see the shift as you get past 2006 with more blue showing up, which is why we're going so wide receiver heavy, because the league has shifted, but um, that's how I started this, and and noticed these same play callers, Kubiak, and Andy Reid with his running backs, and Scott Linehan. You know, Linehan's had the wide receiver one overall three times. I mean, he did it back with Randy Moss, and he he did it with Calvin Johnson, of course. Yeah, these are great players, but helps to have those guys. He's got Des Bryant, and he's targeting his average his average wide receiver one gets or the top the average targets for his wide receiver one is 160 targets. He was in Miami one year, and Chris Chambers had 166 targets. Chris Chambers, it was the best year of his career. So there, these play cards just have a tendency to do that. And so while I'm not. Just buying into the, the quote unquote coaching narrative. I, I love going after teams that I know are going to do that. Target their running backs and their wide receivers heavy. And so I have a series right now going. I've already done one on Scott Linehan's history and uh, what he's done. I mean, looking at Scott Linehan's running backs is you go back to Mo Williams was a top twelve guy. I mean, who's Mo Williams? Um, you know, Joyc Bell. I, I, I think Joy Bell's an average talent. You know, he went he was on five different teams before landing in Detroit. And then Linehan gave him three top 24 seasons. So that's the whole, is it talent or is it situation and team? It it goes both ways. I think talent definitely rises to the top, but I do think that some play callers can elevate the talent they have. And when you give a guy like Scott Linehan the talent of a Des Bryant, the sky's the limit. And it wouldn't surprise me if if Dallas struggles this year, that they just go to Des Bryant, and they throw it to him 160, 170 times. He's in contention for that wide receiver one spot. Uh,
0: Jacob, as we wrap up today, tell all our listeners where they can find your work, and, and you're doing such great work, so we want to make sure that they can,
2: they can find you out there. It's uh, at Clutch Fantasy is my Twitter handle, and uh, you know, I have a podcast too, which I do with Graham Barfield. You know Graham's a DLF writer. And he writes for Road World, et cetera. He's, he does some amazing work, and I'm, I'm fortunate enough to co-host with him on the fantasy game theory. Uh, but appreciate you guys having me on. I know I give a contrarian view. It, this is just kind of my metrics-based philosophy, and I, I've had some pretty good success with it. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat. You guys had Chad Parsons, and him and I are complete opposites. Um, you can win with both strategies. There's just, it, it all comes down to how you, you build your roster overall. I think you're exactly right there
0: there's definitely not one right way to do it as as much as you know some people might tell you otherwise. We all we all like our own strategies and, and that's what works for us. But you know, here we definitely respect your take and we respect Chad's take and both of those can bring home some titles. So thanks again for joining us today and we'll be back next time.